I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake. Mayor Rawlings-Blake served as the 49th mayor of Baltimore, as she joins me to discuss Biden's agenda for the Black community. Now, if you haven't taken a look at Biden's agenda for the Black community, you'll want to hear this conversation. We discuss his plans to close the disparities in home ownership rates within the Black community, his plans to help close the wealth gap, the expansion of the Affordable Care Act, and his extensive criminal justice reform plans, including employing the Department of Justice to address police accountability, decriminalizing the use of cannabis, and the automatic expungement of all cannabis use convictions. So here is my conversation with Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake. Mayor Rawlings-Blake, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So I want to talk about Biden's agenda for the Black community because I was reading through that. And I don't think in my lifetime that I've seen a proposal that's this extensive and targeted towards the Black community. And I wanted to be fair. So I looked through some other, you know, past, you know, presidential platforms and a lot of them aren't really archived. Um, Do you know how he crafted this or, you know, did he have help from outside organizations or who's influencing him on this? Um, the vice president, well, former Vice President Biden has a very broad group of uh, individuals who have been advising him and who care a lot about making sure that the the Democratic Party does right by uh, Black people as well as he does right by Black people when he is very hopefully elected uh, in a few months. Well, yeah, in less than 60 days. That's right. It's like 52 days or something, I think, which is kind of makes me nervous, nervous and excited both at the same time. Yeah. And he's got um, economists that have been advising him um, as well as advocates. And I think when you take a look at the plan, many aspects of the plan, you see their their fingerprints on it, that this is not for show. This is not you know, something that is, is decorative on a, on a website. This is something that um, can be implemented and will have a real impact on our community. No, you're absolutely right. I, I agree with that. And when I was just looking at the wording and some of the things that he hits on, you know, they go pretty deep, right? And it isn't something I would have expected to see, uh, you know, on the Democratic side, you wouldn't see it on the Republican side, but even on the Democratic side, you know, five or 10 years ago. So that's, you know, that says something. Yeah, so I don't want to go really deeply into every policy proposal, but there are a few that I want to hit on, some pressing ones like, you know, building wealth, you know, health care and criminal justice reform. Um, Yeah, but I want to start with building wealth, because one of the things that he proposes is doubling the funding for the state small business credit initiative, which, you know, doubling that to $3 billion to assist small businesses and, you know, targeting specifically people of color. But, you know, I want to talk about the fact that, you know, that that's great. But, you know, black people, I think, you know, in the group of people of color, black people, I think, are are usually at the bottom in terms of getting capital, access to capital for building small businesses, because there are other biases and other limitations that we face when we try to start a small business. You know, so how do you actually address that, those unique barriers to black people getting capital and starting small businesses? The first thing you do to address the barrier is to acknowledge it. I can't tell you how disappointed I've been to hear our current president deny, refute, ignore the disparities uh, that exist for Black people in our country. Uh, so when you, you start off ahead in the game and you have someone who's willing to name it uh, and to uh, work to address it. And I also wanted to bring to your attention, it's not just the the, um, the money for small businesses. Um, Biden and Harris are focused on uh, African-American women, uh, small business owners specifically, because as you know, the, 
we are the majority of the, the businesses, small businesses that are being created in the, in the minority community uh, are African-American women. So you address them as, like I said, at first by identifying them and second, step by step. Um, you know, there's, I, I know there's going to need to be um, mentors, uh, business mentors that are working to help these, these small businesses achieve. And, and when you have an administration that is sensitive, you'll be able to do what was done under the Obama administration, where there was a lot of support given to, to businesses. You know, a lot of those supports have been just, you know, ripped up uh, by the, the current administration. So uh, definitely, um, you know, identifying the issues and putting supports in place to uh, close some of those gaps are going to be essential. No, you're right. So we have to recover from the damage that's been done from the current administration. But then, you know, things like this, policies like this have to account for the fact that, you know, we're in a pandemic and a lot of the businesses that Black people have owned have probably been hit and hurt quite a bit, you know? So that's another place to start. Definitely. I mean, you know, I, I think one of the things that you, you will hear a lot and that I've heard a lot, it's not, we're not trying to go back to where we were. You know, this is about ripping up the, um, you know, the race-based inequities that impact the Black community across the board and uh, making sure that, that we are not ignoring, you know, the, the problems that we face. And you're right about, you know, naming it and acknowledging it, because once you acknowledge the fact that, you know, home ownership is a big piece of building wealth and the fact that Black people are, again, at the bottom, you know, for building wealth, um, this could be pretty significant. So one of the proposals is first-time homebuyers are able to get $15,000 in federal down payment assistance. You know, and again, that's great, but I don't know if this plan would account for the gaps in generational wealth that also hurt Black people. Because you can get the down payment, but if you, you know, you don't have the, you know, the generational wealth, you won't, we can't recover generational wealth. But if you don't have the platform there, you know, it's, it's really hard to not only get a home, but to keep a home. It's definitely hard to keep a home, especially when you're, you're fighting, as I said before, across so many uh, across the spectrum. So, you know, one of the things that he, that the uh, Biden-Harris team is talking about is definitely uh, increasing access to home ownership, but also increasing access to credit and fighting for uh, equal pay uh, for um, for Black workers. It, it's hard to, to keep up uh, when you're working as hard or harder than your peers and aren't getting, you know, aren't getting compensated for it. So I think that that's, um, you know, equal pay and labor rights and to make sure that there's a safe uh, work environment is going to be important. And I think also, you know, when you, you know, when you're talking about staying in the home, you have to have an administration that is sensitive. And I think we have one with uh, Vice President Biden and Senator Harris. They understand the challenges that the black communities face, and they also understand that this is a starting point. So, you know, as, um, you know, continued barriers come up, um, I know that that we'll have a partner in um, closing some of those gaps, addressing the the problems and helping people not just to open the door, but to stay in. Around homeownership again, you know, I know that redlining technically, it isn't legal anymore, but we do know that again, there are some biases in the system that lead to lower homeownership. You know, how do you even legislate around these individual biases? You, you legislate around the, the biases by, again, you have to name it and then you have to hold people accountable. And um, one of the plan, one of the parts of the plan is demanding equal access to credit. And you do that by, you, you can't uh, have progress unless you're measuring it and, and making these, these banks and other lending institutions, holding them accountable for the loans that they're putting out and 
uh, making sure that they are giving equal access to to the black community. Yeah, you know, I'm not an expert on redlining and the history of that, but I do know that, you know, when those laws were put out initially, the banks did have a way to get around that, right? Like they just started closing banks in black neighborhoods, right? Which is why you have these kind of bank deserts in certain neighborhoods. You know, we have bank deserts, we have food deserts, we have a we have a long way to go to um, to strengthen many of our our black communities. But again, you know, as a as a former mayor, I know what I depended on with the Obama administration. I know how we were able to partner with them um, on issues that were important. I, I talked about the food desert. We, I partnered uh, with the first lady and with the Obama administration on uh, access to to safe, healthy, and affordable food. Why? Because they acknowledge that contributes to health disparities. In the same way with um, you know, with the with the wealth gap, when you have an administration that's willing to call it out, um, not to you know, not to you know, turn a blind eye on on privilege. When you have a, a, a an administration that's willing to work to identify the barriers, we're in such a better position to be able to really address them. Whether it's access to you know the the physical banks or uh, access to uh, capital in general. Yeah. So speaking of the Obama administration, I want to talk about health care and Obamacare, because I know mm-hmm. that something like three million black people gained health insurance under Obamacare. And, you know, that's a number we don't talk about enough. And I know that Biden wants to and he talked about this a lot in the debates. He wants to expand on Obamacare. Do you know what that expansion includes? It, it includes uh, a new public option. Um, and again, you know, I our current president, and I, I keep having to make these distinctions, spent an inordinate amount of time during the uh, 16 election talking about uh, how easy it was to provide affordable health care and how as soon as he got into office, he would be able to handle it because no one else has. We have yet to see uh, a health plan from this administration. Um, but what we did see uh, from, Bi- from Vice President uh, Biden when he was uh, Vice President, what we see now is someone who's committed to making healthcare work for more Americans, and that is again a new uh, public option, reopening Obamacare enrollment uh, that that this current administration has has closed, broader access to health in general, but also broader access to COVID testing. You know, you can't address the disparities in our community if you're not putting additional or, you know, significantly more resources around testing and treatment uh, for this pandemic that is having a, a disproportionate impact on our um, our community. And that the um, Biden plan um, definitely focuses on making sure that there's more testing in our community and making sure that uh, when there's a, a vaccine that uh, our community isn't forgotten. You're absolutely right. I mean, the thing about it is, is that I'm, I'm glad that you keep mentioning <laughs> the current administration because not only do they not have a health care plan, you know, he keeps he keeps saying, you know, I'll have one in two weeks. I'll have one in two weeks. And that's the longest two weeks of my <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> and yeah. that, that two weeks has gone on for years. Um, so, yeah. So not only will, will you not have a better health care plan, he wants to dismantle Obamacare. And I think that's one of the themes that I've seen throughout Biden's plans is that he's not just saying like, OK, I'm going to recover you from the current administration. He's taking us from where we are, recovering and then moving us even further along 
right? Uh, I mean, you could just restore Obamacare, you know, to the place that it was when Obama left office, or you could expand it. And he's going beyond that. And then he's also looking at best practices around the country to address other uh, health disparities that we have in our community, like infant mortality. Uh, California has a really successful approach to reducing maternal mortality as also with uh, infant mortality. That's something that in 2020, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't have to worry about um, whether it's safe to to have a baby, whether you know the bringing a life into this world means risking your life, and for too many African American women, that's the case. Um, so you talk about not just bringing us back to where we were, but expanding it. When when you look for best practices like that around the country, that's how we know that you know things things will get better, and we'll we'll have an opportunity to be healthier uh, under this uh, new administration. Yeah, you know, you're right. Again, I was thinking about California, actually. I know they do have a good plan. And I read about that earlier in the primaries and just wondering if that approach would work nationally. But, you know, also, I wonder if, you know, Kamala Harris's influence is seen there. Oh, definitely. It was it was so um, refreshing to see uh, Senator Harris being named um, Biden's vice president, a pick for vice president, uh, because, you know, I don't know how many times I've heard it, and I'm sure you've heard it. When you make things better for Black women, you make things better for everybody. By the time you get to us, when we are so marginalized in this community, you know, you are really bringing up not just the women, but the the children of uh, the households that are led by women. There is so much to be gained from focusing on the problems uh, and the the needs uh, of African-American women in our country. So I was happy to see it. I was, I was pleased because I know that, uh, that she gets it, that she has a spirit of service. And uh, like me, like I, I went into public office because I wanted to make government work better for the people that it serves. And she serves with that spirit, that same spirit. You know, I remember someone saying to me once, I don't remember who said this, but they said that when you give black women the keys to drive the bus, they don't just drive the bus. They take the whole community with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I've seen that, um, you know, with my own eyes. I mean, when you take a look at the, the, the roles that Black women have played um, in history throughout the civil rights movement, the uh, voting rights movement, um, even with the, the current uh, fight for criminal justice reform, uh, so many times these movements are underpinned by the hard work of uh, African American women, uh, and and having um, Senator Harris as our VP pick to me really, really speaks, uh, you know, really speaks to Biden's acknowledgement of our role in. Um, the progress of our country. Yeah, I saw a lot of her influence in this plan. And one of them, you know, speaking of criminal justice reform, and I remember when she came out with this proposal during her primary was to end the death penalty nationwide, right? And, yeah. you know, I was a little dismayed because that's kind of a huge thing that it didn't get more press coverage. And I was happy to see that proposed in Biden's plan. Definitely. And, and you know, I think there is a way to be when I say tough on crime, what I mean is there's a way to provide safety in our communities without having disproportionately negative impacts on the the Black community. And uh, the death penalty is one of those things where too many uh, people have been 
uh, wrongly accused, wrongly convicted, and uh, wrongly put to death. And there are many things in this world that uh, you can correct if you make a mistake. The death penalty is not one of them. You know, if, if you sentence someone to death and it's, uh, it, you know, the, the, the penalty is, um, you know, put into effect, there's no coming back from that. So her bold move when it comes to the death penalty and Biden's, um, you know, uh, accepting and adopting that position, I think, speaks volumes of their uh, their bold character when it comes to their willingness to right historical wrongs of our country. Right, right. And speaking of historical wrongs of our country, you know, we've all grown, right? The Democratic Party has grown. You know, even though Black voters have been pretty consistent in being committed to voting for the Democratic Party, I mean, I think, you know, we would be naive to not acknowledge the fact that the Democratic Party in itself, in relation to a lot of these movements, they've, they've come a long way, right? And I see in the criminal justice reform plan, in Biden's plan, kind of a, a counter to some of those old policies and kind of addressing some of those. You know, he wants to reach 100% housing for the formerly incarcerated. So, you know, when people, you know, leave prison, they have housing, right? And then there's a decriminalization of marijuana. And he also wants an automatic expungement of people who had cannabis convictions. So let me just ask you, you know, as a Black woman, <laughs> as a mother, you know, someone who's, you know, run a large city, how good is this to you? I think it's good. And the, the, the thing that is encouraging to me, and I've mentioned it before, is it's not, it's not that it's good today, but when you have a, an administration that's committed to doing better for our community, you know that uh, this, is, this is the beginning. Um, this, is, this is where we start. And you're right. Um, the, the Democratic Party has come a long way for too many years. Um, we've fought internally in the party around uh, equity in leadership positions, in contracting, um, you know, the opportunities for, you know, business opportunities um, when the Democratic Party goes to consultants and mail incomes and things like that. Like all of the things that we do, you know, we fought those things internally. And um, I think that it's that having that reckoning within the party privately led us to be, I think, as a party, more ready to have this reckoning with how the party should be taking the lead on issues around uh, equity nationally. Yeah, nothing bothers me more in these debates than people assuming that the Democratic Party is kind of fixed, right? And not acknowledging the movement that we've had, you know, especially over the past four years, right? I mean, <laughs> this is a really progressive platform. I agree. You know, one of the things that I'm really interested in was the expansion of the Department of Justice to investigate police misconduct. But, you know, I guess the thing, the question that came to my mind, and again, I know there's, there's no comparison to what the current administration is doing. But when I think about this under the Biden administration, if you're investigating police misconduct, isn't it too late? You know, I mean, how do we get to the misconduct and stopping it before it becomes misconduct? Well, I... You're definitely right. You never, you don't want to have the misconduct, but the, the the challenge with police reform is it has to happen on multiple tracks at the same time, um, because you can't you you can't ignore the fact that there needs to be stronger um, stronger penalties across the board for police misconduct. At the same time, you have to front load. Uh, the, the training of these officers to be more uh, connected with the community and understanding of, um, you know, 
implicit bias and all of those things that this current administration wants to, you know, hide their head in the sand and pretend that it, it doesn't exist. So, you know, I, I agree that, um, you don't, if, if your plan is only about, you know, investigating misconduct, you're going to miss, you, you will miss the opportunity to have really transform, transformational um, change in our community. Um, but I will say it should be no surprise to us that we are in the place that we are now when it comes to policing. One of the first things our current president did was basically tell police departments across the country that you will no longer be um, subject to any new consent decrees, any new enforceable uh, reforms, that basically the Department of Justice is going to turn a blind eye to uh, police misconduct. The president went so far as to say, you know, he, he'd pay for the defense if you roughed people up uh, when you were uh, when you were arresting someone. So we, it, we shouldn't be surprised that we are here uh, now when this president has sent very clear signs that his version of law and order means um, that the, the, that that black citizens' rights will be trampled upon. Yeah. Well, I mean, how do you come in as a new president? And because I think that it's fair to say, and it's hard to make this link, right? But I think it's fair to say that we've seen police departments, you know, some respond to that, you know? You know, people who are inclined to be on that, that end of misconduct, you know, kind of respond to the fact that they don't have accountability. Like, how do you come in and then work with that? It's not, it's not an easy answer. Um, but I know that we definitely won't have a fix when we're ignoring um, the problem or intentionally turning a blind eye to it. There's so much work that that needs to be done in order to to have real um, change. And I saw the beginnings of that. And I really I was a part of that um, while I was mayor. Um, we worked on our consent decree prior to the consent decree. I was working with the Department of Justice on collaborative reform because you know, far too often with these consent decrees, the Department of Justice treats the the department and the elected officials as adversaries in the in the process, and um, that way of thinking really was not um, in keeping with the times. You know, across the country, you had mayors uh, like me who understood that their departments had problems and were tr- and were willing to do what it takes to reform the department. And we were looking for the Department of Justice not to force us to make change, but to help us um, make change. And I, as I said, I, I saw the beginnings of that uh, collaborative reforms as, as I was mayor, and that was all um, but abandoned uh, under this new administration. So I'm, I'm hopeful um, that the Department of Justice under the Biden-Harris administration will be collaborative uh, with uh, police departments and with the community and with elected officials who sincerely are, are seeking to to right some of these uh, historic wrongs. Right. That's really good to include in the messaging collaboration, because I think what's happening right now is that the other side, you know, this current administration is kind of pushing this us against them, um, that, 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 you know, the Biden administration is against police departments and doesn't want police departments and, you know, just trying to trying to, you know, amp up the fight. Yeah. And and. It's really shameful, uh, and it it it's scary. Um, you know, when I think about um, you know the, this president who is willing to put his own um, not just the, the entire country at, at risk, uh, but his own supporters um, 
at at risk, um, you know, dur during this, you know, this COVID crisis, and um, you know, it, it it he's trying to cause panic in uh, his supporters uh, to create these divisions um, that are not healthy uh, to our community. You know, the the um, our intelligence community said that one of the most threatening uh, things to our national security is white supremacy. And we have the person in the White House who has, uh, who has, has cuddled up to uh, white supremacists in his efforts to uh, stay in office. And that is a threat to the, the, um, the, the health of our country. So we've talked about this earlier, and I know that everyone knows now that the, the coronavirus and the pandemic has touched black communities, you know, higher death death counts, you know, higher infection rates, you know, the economic fallout, you know, more than other communities, right? And the Latino community is also there. And, you know, we just found out that Trump um, knew earlier than he let on. He lied to the American public about the dangers of it. And like you just alluded to or said, you didn't allude to it, you said it. <laughs> um, you know, he knowingly put people at risk, you know, you know, he, he had these large rallies, you know, he didn't warn people. And, you know, even he even had the State of the Union when he knew. And I've been watching Biden and you know he's actually pretty angry about this, as we all should be. And I don't think I've ever seen him this angry about something that this administration's done. Yeah, between his betrayal of uh, veterans and his lying about uh, the coronavirus, I think, um, you know, Biden has every um, every reason to be irate, uh, to be um, really, really um, frustrated, angry. Um, you know, all of those things at, at our, our current president. And, and why? Because when you choose a life of public service, it is service. It is not the public serving you. It is you serving the public. And what our current president has done is the ultimate betrayal of public service. He has, he has decided that uh, you know, his, his version of America first is him first, and uh, then his friends, uh, for as long as you're loyal, and then you're kicked to the curb. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just hope and pray that more um, of the people who have, um, you know, who, who, who say that they love our country, who, you know, say that they believe in the Constitution, that say that they uh, want America to be great. I, I hope that they really, that these more of them start to open their eyes to the fact that this president is willing to put, you know, their lives in, in jeopardy. And again, these are a lot of the same people who will, you know, fight you or, you know, fight you for the, the right to, to life. Um, that, that this president has, has done everything to, to show that he does not value life. Um, and he, he really is a threat to our country. And, and I am um, so focused on making sure that we are doing everything we can to protect the vote, to fight back against suppression, to give our voters every piece of information and armor that they need to make sure that um, they either mail in their ballots or if they have to do in person, um, that, that they make sure that they have what they need to, in order to get their votes counted. This is, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is the real deal.
I'm glad you brought that up because I think that as people go out to vote, they should acknowledge the fact that that's one of the biggest contrasts between the two. You know, you've got one who has a complete disregard for, you know, human life, apparently. And another, you know, who's, you know, Biden, you know, he continues to show empathy for for people. You can see it when he meets with constituents and, you know, his own life, right? He uses his own life to connect with other people. Yeah, it it is something to see the, the stark difference when you have someone who wants to connect and then you have someone that wants to divide. And I, our country deserves better. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm glad I was with you today. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for, for taking the time to talk to me and to, to walk through this plan. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Take care.